Good morning. Go ahead and grab your Bible and turn with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look this morning at verses 12 through 16 mainly. I'll be preaching from the ESV. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. Uh, Please grab one of those. We would love for you to have a physical copy of God's Word. That is our gift to you if you do not have one. But to look at this text today, I believe it's going to help us to set course in this new year. So Philippians 3, 12 through 16, I'm going to read this for us. I'm going to then pray and ask God to help us and to soften our hearts so we can receive instruction through his word. So Philippians 3, 12 through 16, would you hear now the word of God? Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. Father, we are grateful for this morning. Uh, Father, I come to you on behalf of this congregation, on behalf of myself, and I ask God that you would work in and through this passage, the written word for our benefit. Would you soften our hearts? Would you open our ears? Would you give us eyes to see? Give us hands to apply that which you have given to us. May I not subtract or add anything, but Lord, would you use me for your glory and for our good. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is the first Lord's Day of 2024. We celebrate that the Lord has gifted us with a new year. I think New Year's are good. I think it's great to have a system of time. I want you to think about for a moment, what if we just had one long, never-ending day? That would be pretty bad. It would be pretty tough. But in God's grace, he's given us seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years. And I believe that We have been given this gift for many reasons, and one, I think, is that he has given us these restraints and this system to help us to reflect, reset, and to then press on. See, we need to adjust our rhythms. We need to make changes in our days. See, we get to wake up every day to new opportunities where we can confidently say with the prophet Jeremiah, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. We can also proclaim with the psalmist, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I mean, what a good gift it is to have 
new starts, new beginnings. Uh, to be able to reset, refocus. So what should we do with these new mornings? These new mercies. These new years that are full of God's kindness. So I personally believe that the Bible teaches that Christians are called to make the most of each day. That we are to set our minds on something. To, to put something in the, the crosshairs. We, we must have a target, a goal. And simply put, I believe we are to go after a goal. Going after the goal is the title of today's sermon. And in our text, the Apostle Paul lays out the general framework for God-glorifying goal-setting in this life as we wait for eternal life. I want to point out three foundations, the general principles that the Apostle Paul gives us. We're going we're gonna to zoom out to, uh, to general principles, and then as we make our way through this text, and as I close, we will make some very specific applications that I think are applicable to this congregation and will be corporately effective and also individually. But here are the three foundations for going after the goal that we see in this text. One, we see that we must have an honest assessment. An honest assessment. Two, we see we must have a rejection of complacency. A rejection of complacency. And third, we must have a mature reliance on grace. A mature reliance on grace. Before we look at the first foundational truth here, I want to state just clearly what the main goal of the Christian life is. Paul tells us, if you look above our text in verses 10 through 11, after really going through in chapter 3, talking about some of the things that uh, the church in Philippi needs to do, these Christians, what they need to do, he's, he's laid out some different details, theological frameworks for them to work through. And then he talks about himself. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ in verse 7. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then in verse 10, he says this, that I may know him Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And then verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is Paul's resolve. It's his deepest longing. He wants to know more of Christ. I mean, that is what he is aiming for here. He wants to be identified with Christ, and he wants the resurrection with Christ. In other words, all he sees is Christ, past, present, and future. And brothers and sisters, this should be the foundation of all that we do. Everything that we do must spring from a desire to know Christ better, to be identified with Christ. I mean, that is the main goal. That is the Christian's purpose statement. I mean, this is our mission. We aim to know Christ and show Christ to the world around us. So then after laying that groundwork, Paul goes on to clearly explain the practical application to his reader. Here's where we see first the honest assessment. Look at verse 12 with me. 
So Paul says, not that I have already obtained this. What is the this? It is that. It's what he has just said. It is knowing Christ perfectly. It's like, I haven't reached this perfectly. He says, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And then in verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Friends, it has been said many different ways that a sense of satisfaction with yourself will be the death of your progress and it will prevent your sanctification. And, and this is what the great apostle is modeling for us. At this point, Paul has been a Christian for roughly 30 years. So he's not a newbie. I mean, he's been walking with the Lord in a dramatic fashion, planting churches, sharing the gospel. I mean, living in a way that brings glory to Christ through every trial and tribulation. I mean, he's preached great sermons, evangelized the masses. And the Apostle Paul, arguably one of the greatest Christians of all time, greatest missionary of all time, says, I have not arrived. He says it again in verse 13. He says it first and then reminds them in 13, I do not consider that I am something. See, the false teachers in Philippi were promoting an idea of achieving perfection by following the law. They were saying, if you do these things, if you follow the law, you can reach some type of perfection. However, Paul admits in verse 6 of this chapter that he himself, if that was the test, he himself had made that his goal before he was a Christian. In other words, his supposed spiritual righteousness was merely a facade. And let me just tell you this. Anyone that promotes such fallacy now is also wearing a facade. There is no perfection in this life, friend. None of us have arrived to some spiritual elitism. We should all continually be growing in grace. And when we grow in grace, that then allows us the opportunity to give grace to others. See, we see that we shouldn't turn our noses up to anyone. We must remain humble. Uh, we must remain honest with ourselves. Notice also the position that Paul takes. The reason for his striving after he's made this is because of his position. What does he say there? He says, I, I press on to make it my own. Why does he do this? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Listen, we must be honest and realize that all we have is because of God's grace. You hear that? Everything that you have is because of God's kindness to you. Your good decisions, God's kindness. Your benefits in this life, the blessings that you have, tangible, spiritual, are all due to God. His working in and through you. See, God has redeemed us. He's reset our hearts. He's regenerated us. He's turned us from rebel to redeemed, from foe to family. And this is not because of your works. It's because of his works. If you're not a Christian in here today, let me just tell you something. You can't and you will not ever attain 
the right relationship needed with God for now and eternity absent of Christ. You must, I implore you, look to Christ as the author and finisher of your salvation. Repent of your sins, trust in Him, and pursue Christ, knowing Him. See, we must believe that Christ is who He says He is, that He is the true Son of God, the only Son of God, the one who gave Himself for our sins, lived a perfect life that we could not live, and then died a death that we deserve. And so what we do then is we trust in His death on our behalf, that He has absorbed the wrath that we deserve, and without Christ you will get. But if you have faith in Jesus, if you are truly His, you will be freed from condemnation forever. See, we get robes of righteousness because of Christ. We get to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which we've been called because of Christ. It is all Christ, friends. When we talk about even going after a goal, when we talk about setting our minds and, and pursuing something, work that we do, we must remember that we start with our position in Christ. It is victorious position. So we don't start off as defeatists. We have victory, so we then secure victory by pursuing sanctification, pursuing righteousness. I was having a conversation with a young lady that, Lord willing, will uh, be baptized in front of our congregation in the upcoming year at some point. And as I was talking to her and her father, and I was hearing a little bit more about her testimony, and I asked her to, to share how she has come to know that Jesus is her Savior, um, she hit uh, the core components that would help me to see that there is at least fruits of regeneration. And one of the things that she said is that, I know I'm a sinner, but I know that I'm not supposed to stay that way. And that while I may still sin, I'm supposed to pursue righteousness. And this young lady is not even 15 yet. She's about to be. She's not even 15 yet. And she said, I know that while I still will sin, I know I'm not supposed to remain comfortable. See, that is the Christian life. We're, we're in Christ, friends, but we will make mistakes, we will fall, and when we fall, when we fail, we rest upon the finished work of Christ. But we must remember that none of us have fully arrived. None of us have fully developed. Brothers and sisters, we all need help. We all need each other. And all we have is from God. But as we make an honest assessment, we must then take action. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does. We see next the rejection of complacency, verses 13 and 14. He says, so after laying that out, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So once again, we see the prize. We see the prize at the end of the race. And this here is specified as the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It is Christ. And here Paul uses two terms. He says straining, straining forward, 
I'm, I'm, I'm moving towards something. Uh, this would draw on the imagery of a, of a race. There's some athletes in here. I know we get a lot of the track team in here, and we know what straining towards the goal really looks like if you've ever looked at a race. There's a goal. There's something we're after. Uh, this is the imagery that Paul is pulling from. He goes on, he says, I press on. Now, this is the same word that Paul uses earlier to describe the way that he persecuted the church. Remember, Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul was on the way to persecute Christians when he met Jesus, when Jesus interfered and intervened and said, no, 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 Paul, you're going to do that. But here's what you're going to start doing. I'm going to change you. And he says that his old mindset, the, the way that he used to think, the, the same zeal he had when he was pursuing the wrong things is now transformed into a zeal for doing the right things. I don't know about you, but when I was saved, it was something different that happened to me. That didn't happen all of it immediately, not perfectly sanctified, but the things that I used to love changed. Something changed in me where I didn't have it all figured out. I didn't have my whole theological framework laid out, but there was something different about the things that I used to love. I knew that I couldn't do those things, but better yet, I knew that I didn't want to do those things. Friend, if you're in here and you're really wrestling with salvation, you're really questioning whether you are, a, a good test is to ask yourself, do I love the sinful things of my flesh? Am I deeply desiring those things? And if the answer is yes, then I would question whether you were genuinely saved. Now, let me say this in contradiction and are in, in, in contrast, rather. We look at that, but then we also look and we make sure that when we look at the things we used to love and we're pursuing other things, that when we fail, when we stumble, we check our hearts and we do ask, is that my love or is this a stumble? Did I sin? Did I fall? And when I fall, do I want to pursue godliness rather than the sin? If you continue going back and forth, back and forth, wrestling with sin, with the counsel of others, looking to God's word, desiring the things of God, steadily pursuing righteousness while knowing you struggle, then brother and sister, I would affirm your calling in so much as I could see fruit. See, it's the wrestle. It's the making war on the indwelling sin that we have. It's the saying, I hate my sin. It's the Romans 7, as Paul says, wretched man that I am. I often do the things I don't want to do, but praise God, I'm on the path towards righteousness. We fall, we sin, we fail, friends. There is no perfection, and that is what Paul is putting forth here. But what we do is we press on. We press on. We strive. And here's what he says. He says, in his striving, he forgets what lies behind. He focuses on what lies ahead. In 1954, uh, during the British Empire Games in Vancouver, there were two runners, and you may have seen the statues that represent, that have kind of immortalized these, uh, the miracle mile, as they call it. There were two runners that 
uh, were the only two runners, least known runners of that day that would, could run a subpar four-minute uh, mile. And these uh, brothers, these, these guys that were running this race, were, they, they knew that they were the, the top contenders. They knew that they were the ones that were going after each other. And as they began the third lap, one of the ru runners whose last name was Landy, he had increased his lead. And the second runner, Bannister, he's coming up behind him and he's, he's going and he's, he's running fast and he's, he's gaining grounds on Landy. If you've ever seen the statues, Landy makes a, a drastic mistake. He looks behind. And as he does, Bannister runs right by him. Now, some would say that that wasn't the, the, the defining moment of the race, and maybe it wasn't. But needless to say, a runner cannot compete if they're looking behind them. Uh, friends, we see that every day when we drive our cars. How well will you do if you continue to look behind you over and over and over again? No, we must look forward. We must ensure that we are moving forward in this life. And in the Christian life, friends, we have a job, and that is to move forward, to press on towards knowing more of Christ. And Paul says there's two things we have to forget. The first is past failures. That's a good reminder for a lot of us. I stand here knowing that I have a plethora of past sins. I mean, sins that I am ashamed, embarrassed, sins that, that I, I wish I, I could never and would ever have to be reminded of. I mean, I'm sure there's things that can come to your own mind. But as soon as I'm reminded of those sins, which happens often, especially living here in the city where I grew up and where I committed many sins, where I rebelled against God, but I remember the promise of Scripture. Romans 8 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. See, friends, we've, we've got to forget the past. Now, we look back at times to ensure we don't make the same mistakes. It's good to reflect. It's good to say, I, I don't want to do that again. But brothers and sisters, if you are still walking around in the bondage and chains of your past sins, and you are a new creation in Christ, let me exhort you to forget what lies behind. Christ has redeemed you, brothers and sisters. Christ has freed you. Christ has paid all of the price. There's nothing left to pay. You must not, we must not be a people that continually walk around in shame and guilt over sins confessed and forgiven. Some in here need to forgive others. There's sins that have been committed to you, and, and I'm not one that would say that you must just offer forgiveness for even sins that have not been repented for. I think there needs to be a confession, a repentance. So there's conversations you may need to have, but what I will say is that there are many things that so many people are holding on to. Conversations that I have with individuals in this church, in my own personal life too, where I've had to say, Lord, 
so-and-so or this situation, it may have hurt me, but I must not let this weigh me down. I must not let those things deter my view of you, my pursuit of you. You hear so many people saying, I, yeah, I'm, I've, just, I've done away with the church because the church has hurt me before. Well, guess what? The church is full of sinful people. The church is full of mistakes. There is no perfect church. Maybe you're joining us for the first time uh, this Sunday, and your goal is to, to work towards uh, finding the healthy church because you've been uh, just removed for far too long. Let me just encourage you, keep pressing on. What a great goal. What a great path that you've called yourself to and answered the call of God this year. Keep pressing on for God's glory. But lest we get too high and mighty, Paul also reminds us that we can't also just look back and rest on past victories. Paul tells the church in Corinth, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Listen, as we embark upon a new year, church, we can't celebrate and rest upon past victories. It's not all about what we did last year or before that. He says, I'm, I'm going to forget what lies behind. I'm going to press forward to what lies ahead. We can't become complacent. We can't become stagnant. We can't become comfortable. We must always be growing, being sanctified. But while we do, we must have a mature reliance on grace. We see this here in verses 15 and 16. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So what's he doing here? He's pointing back to what he's just said. He said, mature people will think this way. They won't be complacent. They will press on. They won't be caught up in their past failures. They won't be stuck in their past victories. They will know that there is work to do, and it's by the grace of God that it will happen. He goes on, he says, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So essentially what Paul is telling us here, there are two types of people, mature and immature. There's maturity. Those are the people that say, I've got to keep growing. I, I need God to work. I need growth. I need change. I need to evaluate my life. And I need God to work in and through me in a way that I cannot work myself. And as I do, as I set a goal, as I press on, I confidently say that God will strengthen me. See, immature people say, I'm fine. I've got it all together. I've got this thing figured out, right? You know, I'm good. I can go weeks at a time without reading my Bible. I can go months at a time without being a part of a church. I can just sit around and be complacent and not serve the body of Christ. I can be okay with whatever you want to insert. So many people think that way these days. So many people think that what got them through yesterday will get them through tomorrow. Brothers and sisters, that is a sign of immaturity. But while we aim to be mature, we set goals, we move toward 
the prize. We must realize that all we have and do is based on the grace of God. If you've ever seen uh, Jonathan Edwards' uh, resolutions, resolves, whatever you want to call them, he's got a list of 70 resolutions. And he's added to them, or he added to them uh, throughout his life. But the, the preamble of all of his resolves was this. He says, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. See, it's all God's grace. It's all his will. It's all for his glory, for his purposes. And this is exactly what Paul lays forth for the church in Philippi. See, brothers and sisters, it is the gospel that saves us and it is the gospel that keeps us. We've got to remember that. But we can't relax. We can't get comfortable. We, we must, as a church, say, we're going we're gonna to press on. We're going to press towards the goal. We're going to go after this thing. And while we do, we must remember that we are hopeless. We are helpless without God's grace. So what should we do? We've got we to gotta pray. We've got to pray for ourselves and one another. We've got to ask God, help us Grow us, strengthen us. But brothers and sisters, let us not be a people to think that we sit back, let go, and let God. That is false. That is not what Scripture teaches us. Now, Paul says to hold true to what we have attained. So what we know, the gospel is what motivates us. It's what changes us. In other words, what God has revealed to us in his word is what we must rest upon. It's all him. So in closing, I want to just talk a little bit about some practical applications for us. With, with, with that as a general backdrop for us, I'll talk a little bit about what we should do individually and corporately. So I don't know if any of you make New Year's resolutions. Um, I think it's a, it's, there's some biblical guidance there. Obviously, Edwards thought it was as well. Uh, Charles Spurgeon preached uh, dozens of uh, New Year's sermons where he laid out resolutions for his church. I, I believe it's something that we should do. Uh, 2 Peter 3.18, uh, Peter uh, tells us grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul writes the church uh, in Thessalonica, but after saying the good things that they've done, Paul says, we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So there's other places in the Bible, too, where we see, like, we are to continually be growing, to be changing, and I think a new year is a great way to do that. As I set up my New Year's resolves, my resolutions, I kind of categorize it in, in three ways. My mind, my body, my physical, and my spiritual, right? So how do I want to grow in my mind? What do I want to be doing? How do I want to grow mentally? How do I want to change physically? All right, what are the things that I need to change to to be healthy, to ensure that I'm able to be the protector, provider, preserver of my family. And then most important, I ask myself and look to God's word and ask the Lord, where do I need to grow spiritually? How do I need to grow? What are things that I need to change? You've probably heard this. 
Uh, there's an acronym called SMART. That is uh, a good acronym for any time you're setting goals. And so I want to just talk through these real quick and, and help to make some biblical application for us uh, based on the backdrop of what we've just seen in Philippians chapter 3. So SMART, if you want to take notes, you can write these down if you haven't seen it before. But when we're making goals, this is the acronym that we should have in mind. One, the S is specific. Specific. So, friends, when you're making goals, when you're setting your New Year's resolutions, things you want to grow, mind, body, spirit, be specific about those things. Write them down. Like, how are you going to accomplish these things? What are you going to do different? What are the things you need to do to ensure these things happen? Um, we included our uh, kids on uh, this, Zion and Titus, and they wrote down a few of their own personal goals for the year. And what we had them do was tape up a, um, the, the paper in their room so they see it daily, Right? One of the things they want to do is 10 push-ups and 10 sit-ups every single day. And I'm like, yes, write it down and hold yourself to it. In the same way, we as adults, we need to write these things down. We need to check in and ensure that we are specific with our goals. We are trying to make sure that we know what we are doing. So let me encourage you, name them. Write them down. Some of y'all thought I was going to say claim them. Nope, this ain't the church. <laughs> Second, the M, so smart. M would be measurable. Measurable goals. So set goals that you can measure. I'll use the example of Zion and Titus's. It's very easy to measure 10 push-ups and 10 sit-ups, right? They can see if they did this, if they're being consistent with it. You want to put things down that you can hold yourself to, that you can say, I've done it or I haven't. It can't be abstract. It can't be ambiguous. Maybe you set a goal to read one book each month. It's a very sustainable, measurable goal, something you can look to see if you accomplished. Next, we see the A, and that's attainable, attainable. We always tell people in counseling and premarital counseling, and especially as they're thinking about their future as a husband and wife, is like set yourself up for success. And here's what I mean. You know, it's a great idea to say that you're going to have two hours of just family worship every day, devotion to God, and uh, together, and you guys are going to just do these great things. But when the real world hits, finding two hours a day when you are then doing your normal responsibilities, your have-tos in life. Now, time in the Word is a have-to, okay? But we also are called to other things. So we need to set ourselves up for success. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, the way to do a great deal is to keep on doing a little. The way to do nothing at all is to be continually resolving that you will do everything. Are you one of those people that, like, you will do it all, right? Like, you don't have no in your vocabulary. Listen, when you say yes to one thing, you automatically say no to another thing. Remember that. And you have to prioritize, and you have to set things in the right order, and then you have to reach for them. But let me encourage you to make sure that you do it in an attainable manner. I'll give you a personal devotion or even family worship illustration, right? Once again, you, you may not be able to dedicate two hours a day, but let me tell you, you can dedicate 15 minutes. You can dedicate 30 minutes. We all have the same amount of time every single day. That's one thing none of us change. We get 24 hours. 
What are you doing with it? If you were to show an unbeliever your calendar in just a layout of your daily events, how you spend your days, your weeks, your months, would they be able to say that you were a Christian? Would, would they be able to see something different in the way you spend your time versus how the world, how they spend their time? Now, I'm all about we need to work. Christians should be the, the best in their workplace. We should work hard for the glory of God. But I'm not about placing priorities above our main priority. We must be people that ensure that our time is committed to God. And so when you set this up, maybe you're thinking about the new year and what your devotional life will look like. Make sure that you set yourself up for success. Make it attainable. Start with 15 minutes. Then maybe add 15 minutes next month. And some of y'all will just have to get up earlier. And that's all right. That's all right. Four, we need to make it relevant. Relevant. So here's a question to ask yourself, right? So when you're setting goals, are the goals that you're setting cohesive with the other areas of your life? Is it cohesive? Does it, does it work well within your family, within your, your life, within your work family balance? Are you cohesive? Is it relevant? And then five, the T would be time specific. Time specific. So, you know, ask yourself, right, how long is this going to take? How long am I going to aim to do this? Because I said the 15 minutes before. Once again, maybe you set a goal for doing 15 minutes for one month. And then at the end of that month, you're going to set another five, ten minutes, whatever the case may be. But you're going to add to that. Maybe Zion and Titus will add another two or three uh, push-ups in six months. But, but set a time. Say, by the end of this time frame, I want to be doing this. Start somewhere, friends. And then move forward from there. Also, you can ask yourself, how often am I going to evaluate my performance? You don't need to check it every single minute of every single day. But we do need to check in and, and say, okay, hey, am I, am I actually working towards the goals that I've set? Am I pursuing? Am I pressing on? Am I looking forward to this goal? Maybe you haven't set any goals. Uh, maybe you're like, yeah, you know, I don't really get down with the whole uh, resolutions and, you know, making resolves and making change. And um, I want to encourage you to do so. And maybe you've never done anything like that. And let me just encourage you that there's no better day than yesterday to start change than today. You can start anytime. Make an effort to change. Evaluate. Assess your life honestly, openly. You know, it's a good thing to do that individually, but it's also a good thing to do that with others in community. I mean, ask the people closest to you, hey, how am I doing in these areas? These are some things that I want to grow on. Will you, will you hold me accountable? Will, will you help me? Will you encourage me? Uh, can I uh, just have you as a confidant that, that when I'm failing in these areas, I'm going to share them with you, and you're going you're to pray for me. You're going you're to help me. And We need each other, brothers and sisters. It's one of the good gifts of the church. We need one another. So while we do this, while we make goals, while we set forth, while we press on towards knowing more of Christ and who he is and who he's called us to be, may we be a people that reflect on the Apostle Paul's example with an honest assessment of who we are and where we are. May we reject complacency 
And may we, may we have a mature reliance on the powerful grace of God. As the band makes their way to the stage, I want you to just take a moment to reflect. Maybe talk to the Lord now even. Maybe write down a few things that uh, are just some general ideas even of just ways you want to move forward this year. Maybe if you've already set goals, what I'd encourage you to do is just take this time to pray, to ask God to work in your heart, your life. Who do you need to even share this with? If you're not a Christian today, then this is a great opportunity to rest in the grace of Christ and Christ alone, to put your faith in Jesus as your substitute. Ask God to do the work of heart transformation, to give you a heart of flesh, to respond to the gospel, and to remove the heart of stone. So I'll give you a moment here to just think, reflect, and then I'll pray and we will sing a closing song. Father God, we are grateful for your kindness, grateful for your mercy. We thank you that it's not our works that are measured. It's Christ's work you measure us by. We thank you that he has finished and completed everything that is deficient in us, that he has accomplished all that we need. But, Lord, we don't want to be complacent. We don't want to be people that just take the truth of the gospel and uh, hold it to ourselves, and we don't want to be people that uh, don't show a life that is changed. We want to be people that are continually growing in godliness, being sanctified, looking more like Christ as we pursue a greater knowledge of who he is and what has been done for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us that you would strengthen us as a church body, that you would grow us, guide us, and direct us for our joy, your glory. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.